you have an NBA hat, make sure to wear it on Monday because there will be 14 NBA games for you to watch. Hashtag this league. I'm a fan of it. You're a fan of it. This is Round Ball Roundup, utahjazz.com, J.P. Chunga. We'll be talking to David Thorpe of True Hoop, an analyst over there, about the Jazz's run as he wrote about them for True Hoop. And he gives a diagnosis of some of the players on this team, from Emmanuel Moutier to Rudy Gobert to Donovan Mitchell. So you want to hear from Coach Thorpe on that. And then there was good news for Utah with Royce O'Neal signing a contract extension that will keep him around here for a while. It's 123 to 101. Utah takes down Sacramento in the first quarter, essentially. They were up 38 to 22. At one point, it was 24 to 10. After the first 12 minutes, the result was not in doubt. Jazz played pretty good. Pretty good. Boyan Bogdanovich dropped 30 points, six three-pointers, a nine three-point shots, 10 of 15 from the entire field. Rudy Gobert had a season high with 28, 15 rebounds. Don Mitchell posted 22 in the effort, and Jordan Clarkson gave a 20 off the bench. This is all just an appetizer to what was the best basketball possession for Utah over the last couple of weeks, probably, where you have Thurl Bailey counting up the passes. There's one, two, three, four, five. Back to Donovan. Jazz had 24 assists on 43 made baskets. Joe Ingles led everybody with 12. That's the possession of the blender, where everything's work, where the ball is humming, where it's going from one side of the floor to the other. Utah's playing exceptional basketball, and it needs to. Schedule gets more difficult. It should be noted the return of Mike Conley, who was on a minutes restriction. He goes 15, one of three from the field. All three-point attempts, he had three points in the outing. It'll be a slow ramp up for Mike as he gets back into game action. He had been on the shelf for so long. Only 23 of 43 games that he's been able to play. He did great things when he was off ball and controlling the ball when he was initiating offense. Three assists on the night, two steals in the defense that he played. If he adds as another quarterback alongside Donovan, alongside Joe, that's more of the Jazz identity where they want to be a team that passes the basketball. A team that had lost that passing mojo at the beginning of the season, now starting to find it as they have that great possession and Mike Conley back. Utah against Indiana, number five team in the East, 28 and 15. And last night they took down the Nuggets. It was the first career game for DeMontis Sabonis to have a triple double, which, frankly, looking at that and hearing that stat, very surprising for an exceptionally skilled big in Sabonis. 22, 15, and 10 assists. He's a passing big, so I'm surprised that he hasn't had that type of number. Indiana's good, and it's the first of many tough games to come as they've got Dallas and Houston the rest of the way this month. Now, there's a Warriors game on Wednesday. However, all the confidence that Utah's gained against the Sacramentos, Orlandos, Charlottes, those type of teams, it can be applied to those big games against the tougher opponents. Sacramento came in, and they had just realized 
a trade happen in their team. They didn't have guys who were in the locker room earlier that morning. Kent Bazemore and Anthony Tolliver from the Blazers go for Trevor Reza, Wenyan Gabriel, and Caleb Swanigan from Sacramento. You can tell Portland's prioritizing more shooting to get around Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. How much Trevor Reza has left in the tank? That's going to be something to keep an eye on. Indiana, though, on Monday, as Utah participates in Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is one that we really should keep in mind going beyond the quotes and understanding exactly what Dr. King was speaking about when he was going and enacting change in this country. He was a great writer, a great speaker, and in both, he was very clear. Let's just not make it another showcase day where they're just games. Allow it to go a little bit beyond that with this day where we can experience basketball and also learn a little bit. Utah announced a long-term contract extension for Royce O'Neal. That means it's him, Joe Ingles, Quinn Snyder, all extensions during this season. This program goes from being built out next two years to being a little bit longer of a timeline with the current group that they have. Royce O'Neal is definitely a part of the success that this squad has. One of the four players that Utah can boast shooting greater than 40%. It's him, Ingles, Bogdanovich, George Niang, O'Neal, one of the passers, one of those guys who would develop that possession that Thurl Bailey was counting the passes. In fact, he was the final assist to Donovan on that play. He secured with the squad for more time, and he's one of these projects that has developed from when he walked into the door, undrafted out of Baylor, had to go overseas, lost his tooth in the preseason. Royce O'Neal, one of those projects that Quinn Snyder, Dennis Lindsay can hang their hats on to being a great development program and a good location for free agents to come if they want to get better. Aaron Falk of UtahJazz.com spoke to Royce, who just expressed gratitude for the opportunity. I mean, the fans are amazing. You know, the place, you know, growing on me. Uh, you know, I'm still not a cold guy, but, you know, getting used to it. And then, you know, just the team, you know, everybody, you know, great group of guys. We all fit in together, uh, you know, since day one. Just felt welcome, comfortable. So just want to be something to be a part of. Catch the full interview on utahjazz.com. Aaron Falk sat down with Royce O'Neal in an interview. Before we go, Dennis Lindsay on Royce. Royce is an elite defender and has really shown the ability to spread the floor with his shooting. We feel he brings a versatility to our team that is vital for our success. We're happy that we're able to retain not only a great player in Royce, but a tremendous person. Before we go, today's the final day of the fan vote for All-Star All-Star starters will be announced on Thursday. The next week, you'll get the reserves. You can do your part by looking us up, utahjazz.com, and voting for the players that you think deserve to go to Chicago. It's very simple. It's the only place you have to go, and you'll be able to set it up for yourself. With that, let's talk to Coach David Thorpe, lead analyst over at True Hoop. We get into his breakdown of the Jazz later on in the conversation, but we start off discussing how it started with him in basketball. I'm an old man now. We're going back a long time. I mean, I played basketball from 1974 when I was nine through high school and I played almost every day in college and basically just through some dumb luck. Uh, like I was thinking about maybe heading to uh, grad school 
in California to study sports psychology, which is kind of a new field since the 1987. Uh, or I was also a writer. Um, not such a great writer, but uh, luckily I know the game pretty well. And I knew football pretty well. And uh, I had an op- opportunity to work in for a college and pro football, uh, kind of a weekly newspaper uh, and in Chicago. And so I was going to do one or the other. And I met a really hot blonde girl, seriously. And I thought, ooh, I want to try to see about dating her. And um, was offered a JV coaching job in the area because I played high school basketball for a very, very good basketball teacher. Not such a great coach, but a great teacher. And so being 22 years old, I thought, well, I about basketball. I never really thought much about coaching, although I did coach when I was in my fraternity and, you know, in college. I kind of coached football and basketball in college for, like, you know, in a mural team, and but I really like the girl. So it turns out that we're married 30 years in August. I probably chose pretty wisely. Congratulations. And, um, thank you. And uh, I started coaching high school kids, and luckily the program that I was at had a lot of talent. We were very, very good. Won a number of different championships, and I, uh, one of our we had a lot of kids go to college. One of them actually started for the Florida Gators for three years and started at center for the first ever Final Four team. And so I realized I'd done a pretty good job developing the guys that were at my school in Dixie Hollins and St. Pete. And, um, but I didn't want to coach in college. I had opportunities to do it, really good opportunities actually. Uh, and I'd worked a lot of camps all over the country at that point. But I really thought marriage was going to be tough if I was a college coach. I just had a lot of friends that were going through a tough time with it. And so I chose to, I just wanted to be a better husband and, and not be divorced, really. And instead, I started doing player development. Uh, and I had a lot of high school kids in the area who would call me and ask for help. Since I really wasn't affiliated with a team anymore, because I left the high school I was at after five years. And it just kind of grew from there. People think I kind of was the first, most people would say I was the first guy to do player development as a business. I had up to like 75 or so players that were coming once a week to train uh, a number of high-level players and plenty of just good high school basketball players. And then that blew into working with pros when some agents who were young enough to remember me when I was a coach for high school-age kids and they would meet me at a camp whatever when they were young, they suddenly became agents. One in particular, and he started sending me players to work with, and that's when I realized there really is a, there's a business here to work with the best players in the world. So I stopped doing high school kids in 99. And uh, I've, been, I've been working with uh, pros since 99 and NBA players since 2003, uh, where they come all over the world, including, you know, this league. But I have players in the Euro League and the Euro Cup and the international leagues. And I've had Asian kids come, you know, kids from China or men from China. And I don't really do high school kids anymore I, I, at all for any, for money. I just do it as a volunteer when I can. I help out probably five or six teams locally here as often as I can, just counseling coaches or doing clinics or whatever. My area get better. What's crucial in developing a player who may have started out one place and trying to get them to another place? Because this sort of lends with what the Jazz have been doing with players that they've made their own reclamation projects. Manuel Moutier is one that you touched on uh, in your piece, and we'll get into that. But what's crucial in making sure you can get someone to make that turn? Well, I like to say, as a coach, I'm first in the business to inspire. So there's a lot of coaches out there that know the game, probably plenty know a lot better than I do. 
but I'm not sure they do a great – well, I am sure they, do a, they don't do a great job of inspiring their players to work and to listen and to trust. Uh, and those coaches won't be successful. Ultimately, you have to be in the business to inspire. And then I'm a big believer in vision. Um, I, I've had – I'm not sure exactly the number, but someone thinks it's around 80, 81 NBA players that I've been involved with in one way or the other as a consultant for them during the season or coaching them up uh, in the offseason. And you have to kind of see where they can get, right, not just what they are. Uh, they, I have a thousand examples, but it's the simplest one would be because he's retired. And I don't really like talking much about players that I work with currently, but, but Kevin Martin is a long time. He, he's like my son. He lives in Clearwater now where I live uh, with his family. And, um, but I started training him when he was 19. And when the Sacramento Kings drafted him when he was 21, I, Rick Adelman and Jeff Petrie, the GM then, both kind of said to me, like, he's got a chance to be a nice corner shooter. That was about what they saw in him. Even though he was 6'7", wildly quick and athletic and incredibly crafty, and they saw him as a corner shooter for their kind of corners offense they ran with Vivian, uh, the, you know, the guys they had back then, Brad Miller or whatever. And I didn't agree. I thought he could be a uh, primary scorer. Uh, at the highest levels. And so I had that vision. I tried to share it with him. He liked it. And so we kind of built a game. You know, we, we kind of think about building a house. You have to kind of, you can't just build it without knowing what it's going to look like. So we figured out what we want to look like, and then we built it. And then I could, this is what I do for any student that comes to me. And then you start adding the accessories, the little bells and whistles to make it unique to you uh, once you feel like you've got the, you know, the, the basic game complete. And every year you could add whatever. You could add three-point shooting to a certain guy. You can add a dribble move. You can add post-game. Um, another player of mine, I'd say, through the time, Lou Albang, didn't really post, and we did that. My first ever client, Udonis Haslam, didn't shoot. He and played four years of college. He made one jump shot in four years. And um, so to make the league, we really focused on rebounding and defense and IQ and toughness. And then the second season, we really focused on perimeter shots which back then for power forwards was 18-footers. He didn't really shoot three, which I was unfortunately too dumb to realize. I should have been doing three-point <laughs> shooting with him even then. And uh, although he somehow still managed to be in the league, so maybe it wouldn't have mattered too much. But I always regretted that I didn't work with him on a three-point shooting when he was 22 years old when I had him. Uh, and so, yeah, so you, you got to get a foundation to stick, and then you, you can add stuff from there. I'm so glad when I read the piece, Jazz, play Jazz, started with Emmanuel Moutier and how he's playing bully ball. What have you seen from Emmanuel in your, your viewing of the Jazz and how he's helped this team? So, well, first of all, yeah, I sometimes I'll speak in hyperbole for fun, but like, I almost never see him miss mid-range shots. It seems like they bounce around the rim a few times and roll in, which, which suggests he's got some, you know, obviously some touch. Um, but, yeah, basically, you know, he only had to start the one game, but he's had to play some with Tommy being out. And I, I didn't study him all that much where he's been before because he's, he's never played on relevant teams. And I'm not smart enough to really focus on all 30 teams. I, I tend to watch the teams that have some relevance, meaning if you've got a chance to get to the second round of the playoffs, I'm going to watch you a good amount. Other than that, I may watch you a couple of times. So I, when I was at ESPN years ago, I covered Moutier, who was a rookie. Uh, but again, you know, there wasn't much relevance to it. So what I see now is just a guy that it, the game is much lower for him in the best way. 
Uh, he he knows where he wants to get, and he knows how to get there. That that's a leap. A lot of guys have the ability to get wherever they want, but they don't know where to go. And Moutier wants to get what I call it the second box, which is if the first box is think of the key, and so start at the rim and move out maybe seven eight feet. That's the first box. It's hard to get to the first box and score because every team has their version of Rudy Gobert. They're just not as good as him. Mm-hmm. Second box, you can get jumpers. You just can't really make jumpers. And he's not been a guy that's made those jumpers the way he is now. He's one of the best mid-range shooters in the league right now, if that's what mid-range is. He's not taking 20-footers. He's taking much shorter shots than that, but not going too far to the rim, you know, because, again, teams have someone trying to protect the rim. So he just seems under control. He's not trying to do too much, which I think is very wise because they, they actually have plenty of offensive talent. And when he gets his chance, meaning, meaning – so I guess I look at it this way. We, I, I wrote a book, actually, a few years, two years ago called Basketball with Jazz. And it wasn't talking about the Utah Jazz. But basically, basketball is a collection of guys who are doing nothing but reading and reacting from each other. Uh, if you, you, could, you can play a real jazz piece musically – and it won't ever be the same thing twice because the band is, is, is they're living off each other, breathing off each other, as opposed to a classical piece, which is really going to be much more mathematically organized. Football is very much that way, right? Baseball is math. Uh, you know, football is military precision. Basketball is jazz. That's where, I get, that's where I got the title of the book from. And so Moutier has got to read what his guys are doing and is doing that. And when the ball is moved around, and obviously Utah likes to move the ball around, as you know, and they, they're, I wrote about this, they're, they're number one in the league in drives, and they're number one in the league in, in passes off drives, which means they're sharing the ball. So as that ball moves, and Moutier finds himself in a position where he can beat the guy guarding him to the second box without help coming, he does it, and he's making that shot more than half the time. And again, if someone does help, he'll kick the ball out. So I just feel like if he's got some control about him, I'm a little worried that now that Conley's back, he may be the casualty. It's hard not to play George Yang uh, off the bench. Tony Bradley needs to get his playing time as a back of five. Uh, they've got to find uh, a rotation that works. Mike, if he's not starting, has to play. So what happens in Moutier? So I'm a little worried about that because I think he was a real plus for them. But those are good problems to have when you have too much talent. What is the best approach in integrating a, an injured player into the lineup with Mike Conley coming back? 23 of 43 games that he's played total for this team. And you also saw during the Jazz's ascent, Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell quarterbacking this team. Well, so first of all, that has to be addressed. Um, Joe Ingles is a brilliant player. And... Uh, he, not utilizing that brilliance, that creativity, and only letting him be, like I was saying about Kevin Martin, there are franchises in this NBA right now, coaches and executives on these franchises, that would only let Ingles be a catch-and-shoot guy. That, there's a, that's a fact. There, there's many teams, I'm guessing, who didn't think he could even play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is he wasn't in the NBA for a while. You know, It wasn't like he was 19 when he got here. The, this guy is a fantastic pick-and-roll player, and I don't remember if it was the Wizards game. I, I watched them play a little bit before I wrote that piece where uh, it might have been the Warriors. They couldn't guard Ingles and Gobert ball screen. 
I think they both, I think between them, they had like 49 points or something, 47, 49. And it was just a two-man game, Ingles, Gobert, ball screens. Well, imagine three years ago someone saying that, that some NBA team, you don't know who it is, can't defend Ingles, Gobert, ball screens. So you've got to utilize Joe Ingles. Well, what does that make Mike Conley when he's even on the court? Uh, I mean, if he's just a catch-and-shoot guy, can he make that adjustment? He's used to ball his hands a lot more. Uh, he's never been a great shooter. He's just always been a good shooter. And this year, I thought the Jazz, last year the Jazz were 10th in the league in uh, three-point shooting percentage. I think I'm right when I say 10th. I, wrote, I know I wrote it. And now they're the best right now, currently. Uh, and so hopefully Mike can maintain that if he can play the role. And if he, if he, if he, if he needs to have the ball in his hands to be more effective, then he's got to be more second unit guy. Because right now I think they've got enough with Joe and Donovan. And, and Donovan Mitchell, who we obviously wrote about too, is emerging into an MVP level player who's still got a big upside yet to grow into. So um, I, my understanding is, and I, I, I've known of Mike for a long time and I've been very friendly with people who have been his employers and his coaches. He seems about as great a guy as you could possibly have in your team. And so whatever role he would get on a team this good, I would think he would embrace. Uh, and therefore the culture doesn't take a hit. John Hollinger wrote about Donovan needing to take another step in his passing. There is also the discussion of him needing to be more efficient going to the free throw line and his free throw rate. What steps do you see for Donovan to make that le- that jump into that MVP level, which he has the potential to get into? Yeah, so um, I would probably start on the defensive end because he is small. And uh, they, they need he, – he's, he's a great offensive player now. I don't know how much better he can get offensively other than just uh, con- you know, continue to grow as a shooter. If he can get to be 42, 43, I don't think he's there now. They have four guys above 40, Ingles, Niang, O'Neal, and Bogdanovich. If Mitchell could do it too, that, that would really be a heck of a weapon to have. Uh, but I would say on the defensive end, where, where just you, he's got, even though he's small, he's obviously got the athleticism and he's powerfully built, which I think sometimes the real issue for players, if they, if they just aren't strong enough to hold their ground in a sense, they can get bullied a little bit or a lot. And I don't think that'll happen with him. You can, you can shoot over him, but I'm not sure you'll bully him the way no one bullies Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think he can do that. And so if he becomes a plus defender, a real plus defender, on ball, off ball, given his offensive gifts, given the talent around him, I think, I think it's the most talented Jazz team that, that the Jazz has ever had in the modern era anyway. Um, Utah fans may disagree, and they may know better than me, but based on what I've seen in terms of overall talent, uh, I, you know, I think it's the most talented team. And so he doesn't have to go overboard. So if he can increase his defensive abilities, which he should, I mean, he's just 23 and I think year three now. So this is the kind of year you expect him to make his jump. And because uh, I think mean, he's a great leader. One of the, I wrote about this. His, uh, he, he's so genuinely excited for teammates doing well. I, I saw a video where uh, Niang was being interviewed and um, Donovan was saying super positive things about him. Uh, they, and then they poured a bunch of water on him, and Donovan was right there doing it. He was going to pour the water on George and the reporter. And then I think I might have seen that on your side. I saw it somewhere. And then uh, when any of your players, Tony Bradley had a great dunk in one of your games, and 
I thought I, it might have been the game Donovan didn't even play. Yeah, it was last night. Active. They went crazy yeah, okay. last night. Yeah. So last night. So yeah, you know, games all run together for me. So I love that when you're when your best talent. I'm not sure he's their best player, though. He probably is. He's certainly their best talent. When your when your best talent, because I think Joe Bear might be their best player. When your best talent is that enthusiastic about the success someone else has, and you're not even involved, that's a really good sign. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, I think he's he's right there as a leader, as an offensive player, a little bit more decent, maybe a lot more defense, whatever he's capable of. And they've got themselves, you know, one of the best players in the world. You've been on Rudy Gobert for a while now as a fan of the yeah. international game. Uh, how has he carried over what he did in the World Cup to where we are now with trying to uphold the Jazz's defensive principles as the offense has gotten better as well? Well, I don't know how long you how you know how I don't know if you know how long I have been a fan of Rudy Gobert. I saw the tweet. But, uh, you did, Bill. Okay, I was just going to say it's funny. I don't remember anything that I tweet. I tweet. I don't tweet that much, but it, it, you know, I'm a father of two, and uh, I've got jobs, whatever. I, I don't keep track of all this stuff, but luckily fans do, and sometimes unluckily because I'm certainly wrong, also. But yeah, I tweeted a long time ago. God, I think you might have been a second-year player that he's got the kind of upside that one day is going to be Team USA on a national event. Like he's just going to own the paint, and if Team USA back then the Dream Team wasn't losing. If Team USA can't make outside shots, they're going to lose because Gobert's going to own the inside. And it turned out I was, it was pretty smart. Was, I was, I'm glad that I figured that out. Um, I think he's way better now than he ever had been. Like I, it's going to sound crazy, and I wrote in my piece that I thought Donovan Mitchell was an MVP candidate, but I'm not convinced he's the MVP of your team. It's close. And I'm probably stupid for saying that because he's amazing. But – when Donovan Mitchell gets injured or, or, or has to sit out a game because he's sick or is in foul trouble, yeah, you guys will be fine for one game. You're not going to win a series against you know, a great team without him. But the other night when, he fouled, when Rudy fouled out against the Pelicans, it was like the house was on fire mm-hmm. because he just does everything defensively. And, oh, by the way, he led the league in dunks last year and his second this year to Austin Tecumpo, which, you know, you're basically second to an alien you know, that, that's how amazing Andre yeah. Kupo is. He, he really is. He really should be LeBron's competition in state champ. Five of him. And uh, he's just so incredible. And Rudy's second to him. So he's just pick and roll fourth uh, offensively now, and, and Rudy is. And he's not, he doesn't have the best hands in the world, but they're, but they're way better than they used to be. He, he can score inside if you switch. He can just shoot over you. Um I think he's an, I think he's an incredible talent. Yeah, and uh, and so as good as Donovan is, Rudy, like I just don't think the Jazz are nearly. It's easier to replace. It's not Donovan's fault. It's easier to replace Donovan because the talent you guys have than it is Rudy. Because Tony Bradley, who is from my area, he's from, I'm from the Tampa Bay area. He's from here. Uh, he's not ready yet to do. But no one can do what Rudy does. He's just that special. Well, and you made an interesting comparison between Rudy and, and Roy Hibbert in the way that Hibbert would give LeBron so much trouble in those Miami years. That's got people around here salivating at, at the possibility when it comes playoff time. Yeah, I mean, obviously LeBron's a different player than he was then, and, and the league is different too. But, right. Uh, but being from Florida, uh, you know, the Miami, my brother was the team radiologist for the Heat, so... I cared about them. My parents grew up in Miami. Like, I rooted for the Heat. I didn't really root for anyone. 
But I really wanted Heat to win because my, it would have made my family happy. So, uh, you and LeBron James is the best player in the world, and the Heat were the best team, we thought. And yet, Roy Hibbert was their nightmare. Nightmare. People don't remember this, but I do. And you might. And uh, Gobert is way, way, way better than Roy Hibbert ever was. So, again, the league is different. Uh, the Lakers team is different. He, as good as Dwayne Wade was and Chris Bosh was, and I, I think both are just amazing players, Anthony Davis is better. So uh, I, that's why I just – I didn't say they're definitely going to beat the Lakers. I just said – I just wrote, you know, Roy Hibbert gave LeBron nightmares, and Rudy is a much better player. So, yeah, if I'm, if I'm the Utah Jazz today and I have to play the Lakers in a seven-game series and both teams are totally healthy – I think the Jazz can win that series. I don't know what I don't know what they what the odds would be. I don't have to worry about that now. They they wouldn't be playing until May, but as of now, they can play with that team and absolutely win a series. One last thing before we let you go, just because the Jazz will be playing the Mavericks later on this week. He seems like the type of player that you that that anyone would appreciate. What has gone so right for Luka Doncic this year? Yeah, I was just talking to a. And I really played about him today, a uh, 26-year-old, really good player. And um, we, uh, he, he, he's not played against Luca yet. And um, we, were, we were literally just saying, like, what makes him so special? I had watched Luca. I had a client that played in the Euro League, Luca's last uh, two seasons there. So I watched him play, you know, probably five, six times total, maybe, full games. And um, in those last two years, at least. And he just has it. Yeah, he's one of the three best 20-year-olds probably of all time. And um, he benefited from playing in the Euro League against men. Highly tactical, tactical league the Euro League is. They don't have the overall talent that the NBA has, uh, although they're, you know, they beat any, any Euro League team beat a college team by 100 points. I mean, it's, it wouldn't be even competitive at all. Uh, the court's smaller. The three-point line is different. The rules are different. You can play zone. And so tactics is everything. Spacing is everything over there. And, and any false step can be exploited. So, or, uh, so he, he just has had, it's like a brilliant math kid also got a chance to go to MIT <laughs> as opposed to learning online himself. So that really, I thought, elevated, you know, enhanced his game tremendously. And then playing for Coach Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the world, who is a tactician, um, has really helped him just the game. Just he, You know, we talked about Moutier's pace being better. Luca's always played with that pace. He, he, he also has one elite athletic talent, which is his deceleration. I think Harden's got the best decelerating, uh, decelerating uh, ability, and I think Luca's second. Uh, where he just can stop immediately. But what, what that means is he can also then kick back up when by stopping the defense does whatever, he then can, again, basketball has not just offense and offense, it's offense and defense. So you're reading and reacting, right? So the defender, how he reacts to that sudden stop allows then Luca to react in the way he wants to react to and in the right read. So And he's got all the skills and, and uh, you know, dribbling, passing, shooting, heart, toughness, confidence is everything. And I think Coach Carlisle has done a great job of just continuing to build his swagger, which is a real key part of the game. 
at that level. You just can't be afraid to fail. You gotta, you gotta know that you'll have temporary failure, but good, good news is coming. Like I always tell shooters, if you can't handle missing six of ten shots, like you can't be an NBA player. Because if you're missing six of ten threes, you're one of the top shooters in the world because mm-hmm. you're making four. And so it's the same thing when you're a superstar. You have to be able to handle failure almost every night if you look at the, 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 the amount of shots taken and the amount of shots made. Uh, you, you just have to get used to missing and, and not let it affect you. And Luca has it, has it really well. I think Utah's got a better team. Luca will be the best player on the court. Uh, but but uh, that's where Donovan, if he can if he continue to prove on defense and then having Rudy back there makes a big difference. I can't wait to see the tactician matchup between Coach Q, Quinn Snyder, and Rick Carlisle and, and Luca on the floor as we get the opportunity up close and personal on Saturday. He is a coach and an analyst over at True Hoop. His name is David Thorpe. David, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure.